Hey everybody out there in podcast land, this is Chris, the public safety guru. Today, this podcast will actually be focusing on a block exam test review. This is our first ever. This review will be for block two cardiology. So get your pencil and paper, thinking cap, and let's see if we can help you prepare better for the block two exam of the EMT program that I teach in. Okay, so one of the first things you need to know is that I have broken up this test review into various subsections. So one section will be procedures and treatment, while another section will be anatomy and physiology, and so on and so forth. And so we'll get to those in just a bit. The one thing that I want students to remember is that you should be familiar with the standards set by the American Heart Association BLS Provider Certification. I recommend that you as a student review the BLS Provider Handbook as about eight to ten questions, maybe even a little bit more, come directly from that certification process. Okay, so let's talk about AED automatic external defibrillators. AEDs are only applied for medical cardiac arrest, never trauma. Remember, in a medical cardiac arrest, the two uh, most common rhythms are V-fib and V-tac. This is what's causing the person to go into cardiac arrest. In the trauma cardiac arrest, that patient is in cardiac arrest not because of a dysrhythmia, but it's because of something else going on, such as hypovolemia. This is the reason why an AED will not work. As well as with AEDs, we do not put them on conscious breathing patients. If your patient is conscious, no AD application. Okay, let's remember that. Also, we never stop performing CPR when we're going to apply an AED. Your partner should work around you and apply the pads as you continue compressing the chest. This is very important. So remember, we do not stop CPR to apply an AED. Now, if you are on a cardiac arrest, an EMT should request ACLS because it has been proven that early ACLS provides higher survival rates. All right, now let's break this up into procedures and treatment. We're going to talk about CHF. Remember my passionate plea to you about CHF that we transport this patient in the Fowler's position? Remember that. It's Fowler's position with the legs down. Fowler's position with the legs down. This is for our congestive heart failure patients. We want to, when utilizing a pulse ox, we do not provide oxygen for anyone who is above 94%. Remember that number, 94%. We also want to know is what do you do after giving nitroglycerin? So you as the EMT, what is it you do after you give nitroglycerin? This is where we reassess our patient. We're going to take another blood pressure and we're going to assess if the nitroglycerin did any type of or did anything for our patient. So remember those absolutes that I have? Shallow respirations always require ventilatory assistance. Shallow respirations always require ventilatory assistance. That's normally in the form of BVM or positive pressure ventilation. Going back to the why do we give nitro or what we do for nitro, whenever you give a medication, you must assess and document always. Remember, Give the medication, assess the patient, and document your findings. If you do not document your findings, is that it's as if it never happened. 
Now with nitroglycerin, what the EMT should realize is that we do not want to give nitroglycerin to a patient that has had some type of sexually enhanced drug such as Viagra within 24 to 48 hours. Me personally, I make that my rule is 24 to 72, but for testing purposes, you probably want to focus on 24 to 40, 48 hours. An EMT should know when drugs are contraindicated. So when would you not give nitroglycerin? Well, let's talk about that. You would not give nitroglycerin if the patient has had three doses, if the patient has an allergy, if the patient's blood pressure has dropped below 100. So we need to understand when and when we do not give drugs. Those are called indications and contraindications. You need to know what is transdermal, which is across the skin. This is a medication that is absorbed through the skin. Sublingual, which is a pill or medication that dissolves underneath the tongue. Subcutaneous and intraosseous. Remember, it may seem like we're jumping all over the place with the study guide. Well, because we are. These are just supposed to be hints and references to material that you either know or need to look up to understand. So let's talk about anatomy and physiology now. When you have a patient who's having chest pain and you take a blood pressure in both arms and that blood pressure is different, you need to think dissecting aortic aneurysm. Okay, that is one of our tall tale signs is that we have a blood pressure that's different in one arm from the next. That is indicative of a AAA or dissecting aortic aneurysm, aortic aneurysm, I don't care what you call it. Also, when you have that patient who's complaining of tearing pain, that is indicative of aortic aneurysm, tearing pain. When we do have that person that presents with an aortic aneurysm, we want to transport them supine. Remember, we want to relieve the pressure in the abdomen so we do not have a full dissection. So that triple A patient will be transported in a supine position. Let's talk about heart attacks now, MI. In an MI, the chest pain is constant. Nothing makes it better, nothing makes it worse. Remember that. You may see some test questions about angina and MI. Well, if you have a patient that has substernal chest pain but then goes away with rest, then that's angina. An MI pain never goes away, and that's what that would be. Uh, EMT should also know how people describe chest pain. What are the most common terms? So remember, our patients will describe maybe a crushing pain, uh, feels like an elephant is on their chest. So you should look over those signs and symptoms, your OPQRST, <clears throat> when it comes to chest pain. Now also, how do you give nitro to the patient and what instructions do you tell them? You should know this as an EMT. So we give nitroglycerin, sublingual. You should tell them that they're going to get a headache because that is a sign and symptom of nitroglycerin. The EMT should know why VTAC causes hypotension as well as why the EMT gives aspirin in regards to a clot or regards to an MI. We talked about this in class. Remember that the EMT gives aspirin in an MI patient or a chest pain patient because we're hoping to reduce the size of a clot. The EMT should be able to answer what is the vascular disorder of an arterial wall. 
what does a patient with coronary artery disease experience chest pain? Think lumen of the heart. Or why does a patient with coronary artery disease experience chest pain? Remember, think lumen of the heart. So look that up, it's in your notes. Students should also know the signs and symptoms of an MI. MIs occur, why? What is happening to the heart specifically and what causes the pain? So MIs, let's talk about this for a sec, are caused by some type of something causing the coronary artery not to be able to pump blood to a specific section of the heart. Normally some type of clot, CAD disease, whatever. The heart begins to die. That tissue death is what causes the pain. This is why the pain, nothing makes the pain any better when we do our OPQRST and we have that palliation. This is why palliation, there is nothing for palliation as nothing will make that pain go away because the tissue is dying. Now I want to go back to nitroglycerin. We kind of talked about this in class and I hope you remember. Sometimes we give medications and they just have an effect on our patient that is undesirable. Those are those signs and symptoms. So if you are on a call and you give a patient a puff of nitro and all of a sudden you know a dramatic drop in blood pressure, I'm talking dramatic, you, you know, they drop from 100 to 70, we need to do something. Now, this is contraindicated to our standards for LA County, but this is the patient that I would put in a supine position and elevate their legs because we need to get their blood pressure back up again. That nitroglycerin had a more of an effect that we wanted. So remember that. Sometimes we're going to give medications, and the medication, what we get from that is just so enhanced that it actually hurts our patient. Now, since we're talking about nitro, let's talk about angina. Angina is different from an MI because angina usually occurs because of exertion. Remember, MI could just occur for no reason. Sometimes people wake up out of a dead sleep with chest pain. Those are the ones that scare me because of the fact they had no exertion. People who exert themselves and they have chest pain, that is normally angina pectoris. So you have that patient with congestive heart failure. What is our main sign? If you said rails, bubbling in the lungs, you would be correct. Now, I, we've been going over that diagram of the heart, being able to trace a drop of blood throughout the heart. So, what causes CHF? Well, that would be left heart failure. Just like pedal edema or sacral edema is caused by right heart failure. All right, now we're gonna switch gears here and we're gonna specifically talk about CPR and choking because I noticed that many students on this part choke the test. So let's talk about that. Okay, first with CPR, you as a student need to know the ratio for adult CPR, child CPR, child two-person CPR, and infant CPR, and this is the 30 to 2 ratio. Remember, when we switch to two-person rescue for child and infant, our ratio goes to 15 to 2. Now, conscious choking. You need to wrap your head around this, ladies and gentlemen. I do not care how many times I explain this. There's always one to two of you that get this wrong. So think of it this way. You have a patient who is conscious, okay? Conscious. If they're an adult or a child, we're doing abdominal thrusts. If they're an infant, we're doing five compressions and five back blows. 
infant, five compressions, and five backloads. This is our only, 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 only treatment for conscious choking. There is no other methods, okay? So remember that for your test. Now, if the patient goes unconscious, goes unconscious, then we are going to put them down on the ground and we are going to be begin performing chest compressions or CPR. That is the difference between conscious and unconscious choking. Now, from time to time, you will be given a scenario regarding when you do CPR first or when you call 911 first. So I want you to think of this way. In infants or children and infants, the likely reason that they are in cardiac arrest is due to hypoxia. That's not an absolute, but I just want you to think of that. So they need oxygen. So if you come across the child or infant and you have a test question that asks you, do you go call 911 first or do one to two minutes of CPR? We do one to two minutes of CPR. We need to get some oxygen into their bodies because they cannot tolerate hypoxia like an adult can. This is something that um, we, I guess we get confused because here's going to give you the adult scenario. So here's the adult scenario. You walk into a room and you have someone down on the ground and you examine them and you find that they're in cardiac arrest, but you left your cell phone in the car. However, you know just outside in the hallway is a direct line to campus security. What do you do first? Well, since you don't know how long that patient has gone without oxygen, you will provide one to two minutes of CPR, then head out, activate 911, <clears throat> and then come back. This way, and then perform CPR again. This way, your patient gets a couple of minutes worth of oxygen circulated throughout their system. Now, if you have that person who's standing right in front of you and all of a sudden just drops and you determine that they need CPR, then run, activate 911, then come back. The difference is that you saw the patient drop right in front of you, so we know they have a few minutes of oxygen and they can go ahead and tolerate that brief moment of hypoxia. That is the difference. Don't mix those up, okay? Do not mix these up or you're going to get them wrong on the exam. Now let's talk about AED, adult, child, and infant. First of all, first thing you need to remember, we can use an adult AED and pads on everybody. Obviously, we can use it on an adult, we can use it on an infant, and we can use them on a child. The only difference between a child and an infant is that we place one pad on the front of the chest and one pad on the back of the chest, anterior and posterior. This is when we don't have child or infant pads. We would like to use pads that have an attenuator because that reduces the voltage going to the child and the infant, but in worst case scenario, something is better than nothing. Now, the opposite of that, we cannot, cannot, cannot utilize child or infant pads on an adult. So don't even select that as an answer. It's not even an answer. It will do absolutely nothing for the patient. We might as well do nothing, okay? So don't think that we can put child or infant pads on an adult and it'll do something. It will do nothing to the adult heart. So remember this. Once we have applied the AED pads on the patient, remember we cleared the victim and we analyzed the patient. That is now our priority. Pads are on, now it's time to rock and roll. Now let's just say that we shock our patient and we get a pulse back with that. Well, now we need to start all over again. And what does that mean? 
primary and secondary assessment. Let's see what we have. We just don't assume that everything is hunky-dory with our patient. So if we use, utilize the AED, we shock the patient, then the AED tells us that there is no further shocks and we check for a carotid pulse and we have a carotid pulse, then boom, primary and secondary assessment, ladies and gentlemen. Don't forget that. I mentioned this in the beginning, I believe, but remember, the AED only works on chaotic electrical activity. The key word here is chaotic, okay? Chaotic electrical activity. You as a student should know exactly where the AED pads go. Obviously, one goes over the right anterior chest near the clavicle, and the other one goes on the left mid-axillary right below the left nipple line. Those are the diagrams or those are the pictures that are on the AED pads. If you are applying the pads and you come across a medication patch, remember to remove the medication patch with a gloved hand and get a towel to wipe that medication away. Um, we don't know what that, trans, that, what that transdermal medication is. It could be nitroglycerin. It could just be a nicotine patch. But remember, that's we remove the transdermal patch. As well as, let's just say you bare the chest, you're going to put your right pad over the right pectoral muscle, and you notice that the person has a defibrillator or pacemaker box there. We do try to avoid that. However, if we cannot, you put the pad on top of it, and we still shock the patient. Guess what, ladies and gentlemen? If we're putting pads on our patient, uh, we call that a clue. Scooby-Doo world. Hey, Shaggy, that's a clue. And that tells us that the pacemaker and the defibrillator isn't working so who cares if we fry it okay if the patient lives they're going to put a new one so remember we will still shock regardless of that being present okay i love this you have to remember this not all medical professionals are the same we have some people that top that graduate at the top of the class and we have some people that graduate at the bottom of the class so I'm going to give you this quick story to illustrate why it's important that we always perform our own primary and secondary assessment. There was a day that I responded to a person down call. When I got there, I saw a female doing the greatest CPR I have ever seen someone do. Well, lo and behold, she is an RN. Well, when I walk up, I notice that the patient is breathing and the actual patient has his eyes open and he's kind of saying something to the effect of, get off my chest. I tell her to stop, at which point she doesn't. Long story short, she was so locked in on doing CPR that she did not realize that her patient was now awake, had survived the cardiac arrest if he was truly in cardiac arrest. So had I just jumped in there, I would have started doing CPR too without assessing my patient. So with that, if we respond to a medical call and you find bystanders already performing medical treatment on your patient, we stop them from what they're doing and then we assess our patient ourselves. We need to know that this patient needs a defibrillator. We need to know that this patient needs CPR only, but we make that determination. We do not take their word for it and I don't care what certification they have. I don't care if they're a doctor, a nurse, a paramedic, does not matter. You do your own assessment, okay? Understand that. If you don't, you're going to get the questions wrong. Now, let's say we have now rescued our patient and we're transporting them to the hospital, but all of a sudden they go back into cardiac arrest. What do we do? Well, in the real world, we're going to fly to the hospital, but testing is not the real world. Testing is testing. 
So in testing purposes, you're going to pull over and then you're going to begin your treatment and you're going to utilize your AED to analyze the patient. An AED cannot analyze a patient when the ambulance is moving, hence the reason why we pull over. Now the question came up in my last class, how do we know that someone is, has an obstructed airway if they're unconscious? Okay, simply this, you gotta go back to American Heart. That's why it's so important for you to already have a American Heart BLS certification when you begin this program because some of the stuff that we cover has already been covered in your certification. Okay, but let's move past that. So when we come across somebody in the field that is down, we are going to do BSI. Remember, BSI, BSI, BSI. This is always first, followed by seeing size up. At that point, we're going to do general impression, then we're going to perform our ABCs. Now, depending on how you decide to open up the airway, you open up the airway and you attempt to ventilate the patient because you notice that they are not breathing. When you ventilate the patient, you're going to meet with resistance. Well, American Heart says your protocol is to put the head back into a neutral position and reopen up the airway because we're going to assume we did it wrong the first time. Then we go ahead and give that second ventilation. If we meet with resistance, the patient has an obstructed airway, and then we're going to begin chest compressions, i.e. CPR. That is the protocol. Now, the last thing that I want to cover is when a patient is wet and they need an AED. Who cares? They're wet. We dry them off as best we possible, dry those areas where the AED pads were going, and go ahead and press shock if indicated. We can work with people who are moist. We do want to dry them off as much as possible, but that is the treatment. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we have covered a lot of material. Here are my suggestions. If you have the American Heart BLS handbook, you need to go through that, as well as you need to go back to your previous lectures following your last block exam. From the day you took your block exam, that lecture you received that day after the test, up until your most recent uh, lecture. I'm trying to mark those lectures on the, on the podcast so you know which ones to review. Go over your notes and good luck to you on your block exam. I hope this study guide review was good for you. Once again, good luck. This is Chris signing off, the Public Safety Guru. Come visit me at thepublicsafetyguru.com. Leave some feedback on both my podcast as well as my webpage. Have a good day.